I want to encourage you in a couple things this morning as we get rolling. We do believe water baptism is important. How many know the Bible speaks of baptism with water? It also speaks of a baptism with fire. And it's pretty uh, important. You, you do understand. Let me just make an appeal to you. You do understand that we live in a day when a 59-minute polished church service has kind of become the order of church. And it's pretty important that we understand, how many of you know the world's not going to be transformed by a polished church service? The, the world's going to be transformed by the people of God being filled with the power of God and the way we live our everyday lives. So I want to just point you to the fact that your relationship with the Holy Spirit is very important to us as a church leadership team. And so I want to encourage you, there is a, um, with the day of Pentecost coming, uh, it's pretty important that we get a picture of what this baptism of fire, what our relationship with the Holy Spirit is all about. And so we've set up a link online that you can access these messages that we just did this past year during this time of year. Um, and it is destinyokc.com forward slash ghost stories. And this is a not so spooky series uh, on the Holy Spirit. And uh, I want to just encourage you to access that and get online there. I think five messages that are available just for you to get a picture. Um, how many of you have noticed that we actually have different expressions of our lives, right? Different expressions of worship. How many of you, right, exactly. Uh, how many of you are more expressive in your worship? How many of you, let me, you got a lot of expression going on. How many of you are a little more calm in your worship? Can I just see? Uh, you're the ones that probably aren't even raising your hand that much right now. Uh, and so we have these different expressions of how we respond in worship to the Lord. And this is what we have determined in our church as a church family. Ladies and gentlemen, we can have distinction without having to have division. It is important that we understand that. We don't all have to believe exactly the same thing. Jesus is Lord. How many know Jesus is Lord? That's a non-negotiable. But there are a lot of secondary doctrines that we like to explore and study and, and learn and grow, and you can have distinction without having to have division. And two people who worship totally differently can actually worship on the same row. Have you ever seen this happen before? Here's, here's an example. So some of you are the calm cockatoo, and some of you are the crazy cockatoo. Let me just say to you, you be you. We love you. We're all on a journey trying to just find our way. And your expression of the way God is awakening things in you is an important thing for you to possess. But we want to grow and deepen and learn more about what God's plan is. So I just encourage you, destinyokc.com forward slash ghost stories would be great for you to access that, particularly as we're nearing the day of Pentecost. So, um, I want us to talk about something today that I know, uh, I, had, I had one person just come to me after the first service and she caught me over here 
as I came down and just really crying and said, uh, thank you so much. I just know God's doing something so deep in my heart right now. And I, I believe that there is an area in our hearts God wants us to allow him to tamper with. Is it possible that you're carrying things in your heart that you don't even realize you're carrying and today could be a moment when God shines his light on those things so that you become enlightened to maybe become free in a way you didn't even realize you needed? How many know God knows you better than you know you? We, we addressed that so much last week. And so we just want to invite the Holy Spirit to illuminate his word and awaken something in all of our hearts. And Lord, here we all, here, here we all are with various attitudes and dispositions and perspectives. So many things exist within us that we don't even necessarily understand the origin from where they came. But I believe, Lord, you want to unlock in every one of our lives a greater sense of awareness of who you are, what you have done, and what that means in the way we live our lives. And so we thank you for the love and the life of Christ. And we pray, Lord, that today you would reach deep, deep, deep into our hearts and lives and help us, Lord, just to take a step, just one step forward in our relationship with you and our faith. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. So we share duties, Tracy and I, um, because she's an attorney, her schedule's pretty intense through the course of the week, and uh, so we kind of, we negotiate what are the things that we're going to do. Tracy is the kid's dental uh, appointment parent. She takes the kids to the dental appointments, okay? Um, actually, I'm trying to kind of figure out what, which parent I am, and I can't come up with a single thing that I do, but, but I'm sure I do some things. Uh, I... I I do a lot of things, but, um, but one of the things Tracy does is she is the dog vet appointment parent. I don't take the dog to the vet. I didn't want the dog to begin with, okay? So that's part of why I'm released from all obligation there. But she is the dog vet parent, and Lexi is the animal lover in the family. So Lexi partners with Tracy and they go to the vet and take Copper for his checkup. And, and just two weeks ago or so, it was Saturday vet appointment day. And my responsibility isn't to take the dog to the vet. My responsibility is to collect the specimen that goes with the dog to the vet. Yeah. So I get the Walmart bag and I turn it inside out and get my hand in it, you know. And I take the dog outside, and you have to run him around and, and co you know, coerce him a little bit. And, uh, and, and finally, it's time. Like, okay, he's done. I get this, you know, and then I pull the bag back. Have you ever done this before? I tie it all. I've got the bag. I walk over. Lexi has no idea what I'm doing out in the yard. She just knows she gets to go to the vet. And so I go into the house, and the, or sorry, into the garage, and there, dog jumps in the car, and Lexi gets in. She sits down. And I said, all right, Tracy's taking care of the dog. Lexi, you're going to take care of this. And I hand her the bag, which she grabs, not knowing what's in the bag. And she said, what is this? And I said, well, it's Copper's poo. And I shut the door. And as soon as I explained what she was holding in the bag, her entire countenance and disposition changed 
dramatically. She went from, what is this, to, like holding it, like it's going to help by holding it by one pinky finger, you know, holding it out there. And I could see the look on her face. And so being the wonderful father that I am, as I'm striving to receive the Father of the Year Award in our house, I, I started sending her text messages as they were driving about 20 or 30 minutes saying, it was really warm in the bag, try not to touch it. Um, you know, just different things to, to really get her more queasy. And I finally realized she's actually going to throw up in Tracy's car if I don't quit. So I did, uh, I did finally quit. Uh, let me just ask this question. How many of you, like if somebody, you know, if you were in that situation, you had to carry a bag of poop, come on, it's in a bag. And your attitude is, I mean, not that big of a deal. Can I just say like, it just be a bag of poo, right? I mean, that's like more than half of you. Like, you all are much more poo-friendly than the first service. I'll just tell you that right now, because that wasn't quite the same ratio in the first. So then I assume the rest of you would be like, you know, I'd rather not touch the bag. Uh, and, and, and here's the bottom line, and I want you just to think about it in these terms. Like, it's disgusting to carry poo anywhere you have to carry it. And I, I want to kind of draw a parallel to just how disgusting it is to carry unforgiveness and how we carry it from a different perspective. Some people in the room aren't really that you know, bothered by it. I carry a little unforgiveness, you know. I mean, what's the big deal? Everybody has a little unforgiveness. Other people view unforgiveness as something totally disgusting, don't want to be in the presence of it. If you're going to have to deal with it, deal with it as quickly as you can. Get it out. How many of you know that's what God wants us to do in the realm of unforgiveness in our lives? And so we need to understand a little bit of what unforgiveness truly is about, true forgiveness. How does that look? 1 John 3.16 says, we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. How many of you know, you know what real love is? Like, what's love? We understand what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. The most privileged in the universe gave everything to further our lives. That is true love. And then that example then awakens something within us, and it says, so we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and our sisters. In other words, he has entrusted so much to our care, and with that comes a great responsibility to then offer that gracious love into the lives of others. How many of you feel like God could maybe help you become a little more gracious, loving, and forgiving? Can I just say, I know that's me. I know that is me. And I believe God wants to help us understand just how important this is. You need to recognize this very important thing. The way you relate to God directly affects the way you relate to others. The more you feel like God is holding your mistakes against you, which is not true, then the more you tend to hold mistakes against other people. Because then it gives you a sense of alleviation and justification of why your behavior hasn't been perfect. The more of a pursuit of perfection that you uh, feel like you have to have before God, the more you're going to place that and project that onto the lives of others. And this is very problematic because, as we talked about last week, the whole progression of the Lord's Prayer has this contingency statement in the middle of the prayer. The only contingency statement made in all the prayer, you know, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. It's just such a beautiful prayer of God's provision and how he leads us not into temptation. But it's that forgiveness contingency that really trips me up. When I start reading that and I start realizing, man, this is like total contingency because what he says is when you pray say this forgive us our debts can everybody say it with me as we forgive 
That's a pretty significant part of the prayer. Forgive us as we forgive. What, what Jesus was saying was when you pray, recognize that your prayer is, Lord, if I'm not willing to forgive others, then I don't want you to forgive me. Now, you might think that that's a little, you know, over the top, Pastor Lawrence. Maybe that's not exactly what Jesus meant, but, but let me just take you a little further to contextualize why this is so important and why it's what I'm driving at today. Because after the Lord's Prayer, Jesus comes back and he reiterates one of the components of the Lord's Prayer. And the only component that he reiterates is that of forgiveness. And he specifically says what I'm telling you that particular text means. Because he then says, if you do, he, he, after the Lord's Prayer, this is how you pray. Then he comes back. If you do not forgive others, God will not forgive you. I don't know if you understand, but this is a pretty big deal. You know, I, I mentioned from time to time, and, and I don't mind sharing it, and sometimes it kind of goes into uh, other people's situations, but I, I was, as a young age, molested by a trusted family member. Many of you, perhaps in the room, have a similar situation. You know, as a, as a fragile child who didn't have the right to have an interaction or a conversation or even an opinion about what was taking place in my life, I actually have a sense of justification for being angry at that adult who took advantage of me as a child. Wouldn't you agree? In one very real sense, that is true. But when I came to the cross of Jesus Christ and he said, no matter what you've done, no matter how bad it's been, my love is enough to forgive you for every single debt in your life. Then he said, now I'm going to awaken that in you. And no matter what people have done to you, no matter how bad it has been, no matter how much pain it has caused in your life, God is able to give you the grace you need to walk beyond that situation and be whole and be healed and be restored. Restored. Will you celebrate that today and call it into your life? We need today to see what true forgiveness really is all about. True forgiveness. Did you know the Bible in Luke 6 says, pray for those who mistreat you? Like, I don't know about you, but... the. The story with me goes on, and this particular family member found out I was pastoring a church in Oklahoma City and reached out to me on Facebook and said, hey, I'd like to come visit your church, if that would be okay. I'm just letting you process what you're thinking right now. How many of you think I had a little bit of inner conflict when I got that message? How many of you think I had to work through something personally, emotionally, probably on a deeper level than I could even comprehend or understand when I got that message? But do you know, I just brought that before the Lord and I said, God, by your grace, I mean, I just want you to know, you are not capable of blessing those who have cursed you. You don't have it in you. Only Jesus can do that when you die to yourself. Again, we're in this modern day theology that in many respects says you behave the best you can on behalf of God, and nothing is further from the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not, I'm going to talk you into behaving with my religious message today, and you go out and represent God as best you can. I want you to know the gospel is not about presenting a better version of you. 
The gospel is about, is about presenting a true version of Christ because you died to yourself, therefore you're no longer trying to do what you cannot do. You're surrendering completely for Jesus to do what only he can do. And when he begins to awaken something in your heart, then you can't help but love, forgive, and move forward in all that he has called you to. That is who he is. He's nicer than I am. <laughs> He's more loving than I am. He's more, he's more gracious and forgiving than I am. And when I learn to surrender to his nature, he's stronger than I am. In moments of temptation, instead of just having sheer determination to see this thing through, and I'm, I'm going to do this for the Lord. No, no, no. It's about, okay, God, I know. When I step into the ring with this temptation in my life, it's going to take me down every single time. But what I'm going to do is surrender my life completely to you and let Jesus live through my surrendered available life. And let me tell you, he's stronger than any temptation that will come to your life. He's stronger than any circumstances trying to conquer you today. You will more than conquer, not merely conquer, more than conquer if you allow Jesus to have his way in who you are in Jesus mighty name. That is the plan of God. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I want us to just get a little picture of what true forgiveness is today and a little picture of what true forgiveness is not. And uh, sometimes we can learn a lot from the old hymns. I thought I'd share, get a picture of how to pray for people who abuse you. I haven't been to church since I don't remember when Things were going great till they fell apart again So I listened to the preacher as he told me what to do He said you can't go hating others who have done wrong to you Sometimes we get angry but we must not condemn let the good Lord do his job You just pray for them I pray your brakes go out running down a hill I pray a flower pot falls from a windowsill And knocks you in the head like I'd like to <laughs> Okay, that's not how you do it, okay? I, that's not a hymn, and that is not how you do it. I just wanted you to make sure we all understand. That's not how you pray for people who do you wrong, okay? I want us to get a picture, and forgiving others, like if you've been wrong before, and you've been wrong before, forgiving others is something that, you know, you have to intentionally address ongoingly. I believe that's why we see it so littered throughout the Scripture, Genesis to Revelation, over and over, addressing this very important area in issue of forgiveness. Jesus actually said in Luke 17, 1, it is impossible that you will not be offended. What he's saying is, ladies and gentlemen, here's the truth. In a fallen world in which we live, you are going to be hurt. You're going to be done wrong. You're going to be stabbed in the back. People are going to talk bad about you. People are going to leave you when you think you need them. But just because they can leave the story of your life doesn't mean your story is over. It just means God is redefining your story to be more dependent on him. Somebody, amen. This is what he's desiring for us to embrace. You're going to be hurt. You're going to be offended. Very important statement. If you write it in on your first blank on your card, your response either restricts or releases God's reach. Our response always determines God's reach. If you didn't pass your books down, if you would, and take out those note cards, you'll have those. Uh, but our response to God always determines the level of God's reach within our lives. And so we want God to have deep reach 
within us, and that's why we must respond, even when we're hurt, allowing him to have his way. So what I want to do is commission you this week, rather than just to kind of have a church service to attend, you know, I I value getting together in our community groups, our small group settings, where we're not just meeting in rows, but we're sitting in circles, and we're getting more heart-to-heart. Many of our groups are having conversations about these important topics. Uh, All the groups have different focal points, but some of them actually take the sermons and and do the discussion questions that come with them. If you go to the blog and you just want to work on this, this is a great way for you to have family time this week. Just take some of the questions out of the discussion questions that you'll find on the blog on our website. And you can just over a meal as a family or with friends talk about some of these things because you'll really be able to go deeper when you do. And what what I want to do is contextualize a, a very common story that you would, um, you would know, and I want to commission you this week to read these 10 chapters, starting in Genesis 37, uh, and this is the story of Joseph. So let me give you a little bit of a uh, picture of this story of Joseph and the way all of this lays out and what really was going on, because does anybody here ever feel like you make a little bit of progress, and then it's like you get kicked in the teeth and knocked back down again? Anybody ever been there before? And Joseph did that in the most painful, ruthless way it happened in his life. So in Genesis 37 is where Joseph gets a word from God, and uh, you know his brothers are very jealous because he has such favor with his father, and now he's got this word from God. And so they literally sell him into slavery. You, you do understand what a huge issue this is. As you're reading this, you'll start to, to get the picture. And let me just first just say what that really looks like. Slavery, um, when Joseph was sold into slavery, a slave could only marry another slave. And a slave that only married another slave would perhaps have children, but if they did have children, their children would be born what? A slave. That meant from his day forward, the legacy of his life would only be slavery. Do you understand what a huge loss that was for this person? It's one thing, and be horrible to be born into slavery. It's another thing to be a wealthy heir of somebody who was blessed by God and you knew what it was to become a person that would be a part of the blessing of God in the earth and for that to be ripped away from you and sold into slavery, not just robbing you of your life, but taking your entire legacy. How many of you know Joseph had a reason to be angry with Reuben and Simeon and Levi and Judah and all of his uh, 11 brothers who, who made this determination? So not only then was he sold into slavery, but he decided to keep his heart right. He decided not to rehearse the bitterness. You can make the choice to get better or you make the choice to get bitter. You've got a choice to make. And he chose to get better every single time. How many of you want to get better? I don't want to be bitter. I want to get better. And so he chose to get better. He kept his heart right. And you know what? He was actually traded like property as slaves were in his day. And a guy named Potiphar buys him as a piece of property that he then owned. And Joseph was so blessed by God and kept his heart where it needed to be. He emerged into a place of overseeing all of Potiphar's estate. Everything that Potiphar had uh, was under Joseph's care. And then Potiphar's wife, you probably know the story, she tried to seduce Joseph. He said, no, that's not going to happen. How could, and I love it, when you're reading it, you'll find it. He said, how could I dishonor God? He wasn't even just talking about how could I dishonor man who's entrusted all this to me. He said, how could I do this to my God? I can't. And he ran away from the situation. She lied. Not only was he a slave that then made progress, but then he was imprisoned for something he didn't even do. And once he's in prison, then he's got like this, this uh, 
this person from the court of the king that's in prison with him, and he helps the guy, gives him a word from God. The guy gets out and says, I'm going to remember you after I get out of this place. And, and he doesn't remember him, and in fact, he forgets him and leaves him in prison. Let's talk a little bit about prison. I mean, you know Joseph's life was hard, right? We're getting the picture of this. But I want to just give you a little bit more of what this really means. So we get the depth of this. The Scripture actually speaks of something very interesting in 1 Kings 22, verse 27. It speaks of the bread and water of affliction. And I want you to understand something. When people are in prison in Joseph's day, they gave them enough bread and water just so they would barely survive. The idea is to give them just enough food and water that they would suffer for the rest of their lives on purpose. And then when we read in Proverbs 20, 17, there's this curious verse, and I read it one time, and, and I thought, you know, I've got to figure this out. It says, dishonesty fills your mouth with gravel. Dishonesty fills your mouth with gravel. And what I figured out when I studied that out was actually in Joseph's day, not only did they only give you enough bread and water to cause you to suffer and survive, but they also baked bread with small pieces of gravel in the bread just to further torment you when you're starving and trying to eat and you're having to navigate through what's in your mouth and try to get rid of the rocks before you swallowed the bread. How many of you think Joseph had a reason to be really mad at his brothers? None of us would fault Joseph at this point in time if he's thinking in his mind, all right, that's it, I've had it. I can't take it anymore. God, I, you've given me so much to deal with here. I am now ready when I get out of this place, and I will figure some way to get out of this place. I'm going to tear Reuben limb from limb. I'm going to get Levi and put him in a chokehold. I'm going to find Judah, and I'm going to take Judah and slam him on the ground, and I'm going to force my thumbs into his throat, and I'm going to choke Judah out until there's no pulse left in his body. If they're going to do this to me, then that's what I would like to do to them. How many of you felt that kind of revenge feeling in your heart before? Let's just be honest. And we don't fault him for that, but I want you to think about something that is so deeply profound. If Joseph were purposing a plan to kill his brothers, Joseph would have been planning to destroy the lineage of the Messiah that was to come through Judah that you and I would be rescued as well as all humanity. And, and here's the thing. You don't have any idea what your vengeance will cost, not just you, but the world around you. And in Joseph's situation, God would have been obligated to let Joseph die in that prison cell had he been purposing to disrupt the plan for God to rescue all humanity. How, how many of you believe this is sobering? I mean, when I started seeing this and thinking about it, I thought, man, the depth of our resentment goes so far, so deep, so beyond. And, and none of us would have, you know, faulted Joseph for being so angry. But how did Joseph do it? And where did Joseph land? Because like then, God did bring him up out of prison, and he's like the man in Egypt. You know, he's second in command, and, uh, and he now has the power to literally destroy his brothers, every one of them. I mean, you know, God won't give you that kind of power until your heart is prepared to handle what God wants to entrust to your care. 
We want God to bring the promise, but God tends to always bring the process. And I believe there is a very important process that we must go through before we get to the promise, or we will destroy the things that God is wanting to entrust to our care and release from his kingdom in the world around us. We're always saying, God, enlarge our territory. I'm ready for more. I'm ready for more. I'm ready for more. Are you really? Maybe he knows more what you're ready for and the process required to get you from here to there than you do. And learning to submit to that will take you to a greater place of maturity where you're actually dying to yourself. And this is the thing that Joseph concluded with, and I just think it is so powerful. When you're reading this, Genesis 37 to 47, 10 chapters, you're going to find where Joseph has this interaction with his brother his brothers. And he, he tells them, hey, this is when you go back and you talk to our father, what he's saying is our father is going to be so angry. Like I was the, uh, I was the preferred son and you lied and you said that I died, but you killed me, you thought. And when you go back and tell our dad, he's going to be so angry. And Joseph actually tells them specifically, when you talk to our father, say this. He gave them the words to say that would lessen the blow of the Father's wrath. Whenever you think about the people who've offended you, the question is, do you want the best for them or are you merely willing to pinch your nose when you walk by them because you still have resentment in your heart? And you think, I'm not going to get back and get even, but I can't stand them. And Joseph not only goes on and tells them, this is what you tell the father. But he says, I want you to let yourself off the hook. In fact, this, he says it this way, Genesis 45, verse 5. Now, do not be distressed. Look, Did you hear all the stuff Joseph's been through? And what was his response to these people who put him through it? Man. Don't be distressed. Don't be distressed. And don't be angry with yourselves. Don't be mad at yourself over what you did to me. Let's ask the worship team just to come. Let's leave that verse of scripture up there if you would, please. a little different than what we did in the first service because I just feel the Holy Spirit right now wanting to perform a spiritual procedure. Kind of like surgical procedure. I, I just want you to know I understand what I'm talking about is not easy. It is not easy. Would you agree? On a scale of one to ten it's like fully not easy all the way. And I just believe as I'm speaking, some of you have pictures of people crossing the screen of your mind. And I want you just to think about it. If you could talk to those people that did you wrong, stabbed you in the back, said all the things, would you say to them, listen, I don't want you to be distressed or stressed out about all of this. What, what you did to me and, and the way you feel about what you did to me. No, no, no explanation of, I mean, there's nowhere in there that he says, do you guys know what you put me through? He doesn't say any of that. Because he wasn't focused on himself. He was abandoned from that to a focus on somebody else. 
And he said, I don't want you to be distressed. I don't want you to be angry with yourself. If you live with that kind of distress and you live with that kind of self-anger, then you're going to put yourself literally through hell all the days of your life. And I don't want that for you. Don't be distressed. Don't be angry with yourself. It was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. What he's saying, no matter how much pain this cost, all things, this is the way we say it in the New Testament, Romans 8, 28, all things work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Listen, God doesn't cause the stuff that happens to you, but God uses the stuff that happens to you. When you put your pain in his hands, he makes purpose out of pain every single time, every single time. Come on, let's give him a standing ovation. Would you just join me? We just honor the Lord Jesus Christ. He placed his pain in the hands of our Father, and God took that pain, and God made purpose to rescue our lives and to awaken something of eternal value so that we would not live our lives from the best temporal perspective that we could possibly work up but from an eternal perspective that is awakened by the Spirit of God. We need God's power at work within us, taking us into places we cannot go, barely by our own source of strength and our own source of life. In Jesus' mighty name! forgive you I forgive you you may have to say that 20 times every hour before you really let an offense go but don't hesitate to say it as many times as you need to say it to get it out of your heart don't let it dwell there just because it hits your head doesn't mean it has a place in your heart Speak it out and declare it. Let's say it together. I forgive you. Let's declare it. I forgive you. You're saying this about whoever has wronged you one more time. I forgive you. Lord, as we've been forgiven, we choose to forgive others. Take this word, God, and do something more with it than just to have a nice little message that we celebrate today. But God, I pray you do a deep, deep work as we read through these chapters over the course of this week. May we reflect on the depth of your forgiveness awakened within us so that the world becomes a better place and the kingdom of God begins to expand and we refuse to allow resentment and unforgiveness to dwell within us. It's disgusting. And we refuse to carry it anymore. In the name of Jesus.